Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, since we won't see you before it happens, Merry Christmas. And uh, we've been doing a, uh, a series on Advent, which has been the, uh, you know, the first coming of Jesus. And <clears throat> leading up to Christmas, I thought it would be kind of fun to kind of zero in on St. Nick. Like, who is this guy? Like, big jolly guy in a red suit and a big white beard, which I'm kind of getting close to. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and so, but we know he's, he's rooted in history. Maybe some of us have come across a little bio here and there. And so I want to pull out what we do know and this is kind of both a mixture of uh, like real history and legend, because back in the day that kind of tended to get blended together. Uh, but we're going to go through uh, the story of St. Nick as we have it today. So, and with that, today we're going to talk about an orphaned teenager. We're going to talk about uh, battling old world sex trafficking. We're going to talk about nature miracles. We're going to talk about prophetic words for church. We're going to talk about jail, and we're going to talk about evolution, but not the biological kind. It's a different type. <clears throat> because all of this is tied up in the real person that we have come to know as Santa Claus. So somewhere around the year 270 AD, right? So we're looking way back, Roman Empire times. <clears throat> There's a, <coughs> a couple, a man named Theophanes and a woman named Nonna who deeply desired a child, and they struggled for a long time to have a child. And they prayed and they wept, and they had not been able to be successful in having a child. And so it was with great rejoicing and deep gratitude that a son that they named Nicholas was eventually born. Theophanes and Nana chose to name the boy in honor of, uh, I think it was Theophanes' brother, who was also a priest. Uh, So they named him after the brother, Nicholas, and uh, that's how they kind of christened him and, and blessed this baby coming into the world, and the, the priest uncle was also happened to be the abbot of the nearby monastery, and so Nicholas, you know, he grew up in a life of faith. His parents loved the Lord. They were devoted Christians, and financially, they were, you know, kind of middle class. They had enough to support themselves and still were able to give to the poor, um, and as a boy, Nicholas loved to go visit his uncle's monastery. He loved to go visit the place, go see his uncle. And it was here in that environment that he starts to begin a lifelong dedication to the church. And he would come in and he would join the daily worship cycle and doing their chanting prayers together with the monks. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a monastery. Um, there's actually one over here in 176 called uh, Marytown. And you can go in there, and the monks will have an open session where you can come in, and you can pray with them, and uh, you can be part of their chants and their sings. Um, I used to go there and meditate a lot. You know, and they even have, like, a priest come in, they do Mass. So it's a really, really cool experience. If you've never experienced that, I would recommend it. <clears throat> Sadly, Nicholas's parents died when he was young, like mid-teenage uh, years. Um, but because they had prospered a bit in his childhood he received a fairly sizable inheritance. Uh, And 
as such, you know, he got the inheritance, but he's still a minor. So he goes and lives with his uncle in the monastery. So, and, okay, there we go. So there's St. Nicholas right there. <coughs> if you want to move to the next slide, that'll move us into the next section. When he was a young man, Nicholas boarded a ship to take him on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And following in the footsteps of the Lord, Nicholas prayed that he might be able to experience more fully the closeness of Jesus and to share in his sufferings. So returning from Greece, uh, a frightful storm arose, and the ship uh, was in danger of being flooded. So Nicholas calmly pray, prayed, and the wind ceased, and the, waters, the waves died down, and uh, to the wonder of the sailors, everything was safe, even though they were in fear of shipwreck. And that's why St. Nicholas is uh, considered a patron saint of sailors. Um, because of this uh, storm miracle. <clears throat> uh, another uh, uh, scenario, another situation, uh, this is actually before he became uh, a bishop or anything. Uh, in his town, there was a man who had fallen on hard times, and he was now poor, and he had three daughters that were of an age to be married, but he couldn't afford a dowry for them. <clears throat> and uh, the thing is, back then, the larger the dowry, the, the better quality husband you can get. That's kind of what, what was like the, the social setup. And, but he didn't have any money for a dowry. And it, it often happened that women who couldn't afford a dowry had to get into the sex trade industry uh, just to be able to make it. Uh, and so <clears throat> without the dowry, these girls were unlikely to be married. Uh, and they were basically heading in that direction. But Nicholas caught wind of this, and he took part of his inheritance, and one night, while everybody was sleeping, goes to the house and throws a bag of money into the window. And it just so happened, this is the way it was set up in the days, like, they didn't have dryers, and so they would hang their clothes up on, by the fire to dry, and they had the stockings hung up, and he threw the money in, and it just happened to land in one of the stockings. And uh, the father had enough money to, uh, to marry off the oldest daughter. And then Nicholas came the next night and tossed another bag in for the next daughter. And then the next night, like the father's like, somebody's putting money. So he sits up all night waiting for this. So when the money comes in and he goes, chink, he jumps out and he grabs Nicholas. He's like, ah, oh, it's you, Nicholas. Like, you have saved my daughters from utter destitution. And Nicholas, like, you know, all of our saints like to be modest. Like, don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know about this, right? Um, so that's kind of where we get the tradition of hanging the stockings up uh, on the mantel place. And that's the next picture is the stockings. There we go. So that's so St. Nick can come by and throw a little bag of money in there to marry off her daughters. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, so Nicholas really, really uh, came to uh, the rescue for this father. And so that's how he became a patron saint of uh, young children and, and young single girls. <clears throat> and then, as he is walking around uh, the city of Mira, um, I think today the modern equivalent is Dimri in Turkey, uh, something had happened where the bishop of Mira had died. And so <clears throat> other bishops in that region had gathered together to pray for and select a new bishop <coughs> uh, for Mira. 
And as they met, they discussed and they prayed, and they, they couldn't get a discernment on who the next bishop was going to be. And then one night, uh, kind of like the oldest bishop in the group, heard a voice in the night saying to watch the doors of the church uh, the next morning before matins, which is early morning prayers. Uh, because the first person to enter the church by the name of Nicholas is going to be the new bishop. A prophetic word, right? Like, we're all about that, aren't we? <laughs> you know, Byron, you know, like got a word from the Lord saying, you know, like, step by the doors of the church, and the next person that comes in is going to be, I don't know, the new worship leader, or, or the new elder, or, or something, you know, like, we listen to the Lord, right? And so this is, this is going on, and... So he sits and he waits, and he sits and he waits. And Nicholas happened to be the one that came in, and, and the older bishop, like, grabbed him and said, Nicholas, what, well, he didn't know his name. He goes, what's your name? He goes, what's your name? And he goes, I'm, I'm Nicholas. So the bishop replies, Nicholas, servant and friend of God, for your holiness you shall be bishop of this place. <laughs> you know, like, how random is that? Like, what if I walked into a Walmart and somebody said that to me? You know, I'm like... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to need a little bit more than that, <laughs> you know, to, to, to confirm this. And so Nicholas protested. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm not worthy to be this. I'm, not, I'm too young. I'm inexperienced for this responsibility. Um, but all the bishops that were part of this said, this is God's will for Nicholas to be the new bishop. Uh, so they brought him to the church. Apparently he agreed to it because you'd have to agree to this, right? They bring him into the church, they place him on the bishop's seat, and he was consecrated as the new bishop of Myra. <clears throat> so Nicholas promised to bring the gospel of Christ to people and defend the faith from those who would attack it. So he was a pretty staunch ally of Christianity, very dedicated as, as a bishop, took his responsibility seriously. So much so that a little bit later, he, <laughs> under Emperor Diocletian, he ends up getting cast into prison during the Diocletian persecution. And so he's imprisoned. Um, but then after Diocletian goes away and Constantine comes on the scene, he gets released by Constantine and he goes back to being a bishop. Then here's a, if you like church history, this is one of those pinnacle years that a lot of major things were settled. The year 325 is when Emperor Constantine convened at the, the Council of Nicaea. And this was to gather all of the major bishops of the empire together to determine some, like, <coughs> some tenets of Christianity that, that they all agreed on. And so they needed these common grounds because there were different factions. There were Gnostics that were popping up. There were like pseudo-Christians. And you know, like, if you ever heard of the Gnostic Gospels, there's some weird stuff in there. Um, and so they tried to gather together to say, like, let's, let's get to what the core of Christianity is. What are our core beliefs, right? So we get this Nicene Creed, which I, I didn't pull up. I probably could have. <clears throat> but over 300 bishops came from all over the empire to debate. One of the main things is the nature of the Holy Trinity, which is still really, really hard to explain. Like, I don't, fully, I don't think anybody can fully understand it because we're talking about, like, transcendent entities and beings and stuff. <clears throat> but this was one of the early church's most intense theological questions. And there was a very popular guy, who's also a bishop from Egypt, who was making a kind of statement that Jesus the Son was not equal to God the Father. 
and his name was Arius. Um, and he forcefully argued this position. And the problem is, um, and this is still kind of a problem today in terms of a lot of philosophies and ideas get leached into our mind because of popular music. And Arius was a very gifted songwriter. And so he wrote his doctrines into songs that became very popular. And it actually took uh, a lot of the, the, the Western European uh, groups at the time bought into the Arian heresy and were constantly singing the songs. And so this, this ended up being a plague for the church for quite a It kind of still is if you... Yeah, I won't go there. <laughs> but uh, So anyway, Arius had a big following, had very popular songs that people were singing with his doctrines in it, and this became a contention point in the church. <clears throat> and so as Arius is in this council, arguing his point vigorously, it's said that Nicholas became more and more agitated. Now, this is St. Nick, right? Saving kids from prostitution, giving out gifts, jolly guy, red robe, Finally, he takes it, can take it no longer because um, he believes that this is being an essential attack on the God that he loves. So outrage, it says, Nicholas got up, crossed the room, and slapped Arius across the face. And we, that's our next uh, image here. This is a... Now, it doesn't... This is not proper decorum for a group of bishops, right? And so, you know, like, Constantine has to step in on this because all the bishops are like, Nicholas, what are you doing? Right, like this is this is a debate, and he just goes up and just whacks this guy, <laughs> and um, so they bring Nicholas to Constantine. Constantine puts him in jail until they till after they till, till they figure out what they're going to do with him, and then the legend is that while Nicholas is in jail, Jesus shows up and <laughs> and sneezes. Um, Jesus shows up and gives him a Bible, and Mary shows up and gives him his stole back. Uh, and then all the bishops saw this, and were like, okay, he's got to be reinstated. That's, that's according to the legend. But he does get out, and he does get reinstated as bishop. Um, but from what we understand, the, the names of the bishops that signed the agreement for the Council of Nicaea has Nicholas's name on that signature. So, so the real Nicholas was part of this council. We don't know if he actually slapped Arius, but uh, I love the, f the fact that that became the legend because he, just, he hates Harrison so much. Just be done with it. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so Nicholas gets, gets out and becomes uh, the bishop again. Now, <clears throat> he, he, he finishes out his life. I think he dies in about 370 or something like that. Uh, 343 uh, on December 6th. And so that's why a lot of Europeans celebrate gift-giving on December 6th and, which is known as St. Nicholas Day. And so they, they celebrate, they give gifts, and they eat fish. I remember first thinking, like, that's the oddest, like, why is it eat fish? Because he's a patron saint of fishermen, you know, of sailors and stuff. Um, so they do St. Nicholas Day, and then at Christmas, they actually follow the literal meaning of that word. It's a mass for Christ, right? Christ mass. So they celebrate a church service on Christmas. Um, and so... Nicholas passes on. He gets buried. Uh, they build a church. They venerate him there. But then when the Turks are invading this area of Turkey, uh, there are a group of Italian merchants at some point that steal his body and take it to an Italian port 
called Barry, B-A-R-I. And that's where he's interred to this day. And so it's Nicholas of Barry. Sometimes you'll see it if it pops up on uh, Google or Wikipedia. Um, and so that's where he's supposedly at today. <clears throat> now, how do we get from that to Jolly St. Nick in America? So we're going to do a quick rundown. I'm not going to give a ton of detail. We're going to give a, little bit, a quick rundown of how this evolution happened. So I told you we talked about evolution. <clears throat> As the church continued to grow... Right, you know, in 1054, there's the, the great schism between the East and the West. But St. Nicholas continues to be venerated as just a really popular saint, both in the East and in the West. I mean, you, you have churches of St. Nicholas popping up in Italy, in England, in Germany, in Greece. You get these churches to St. Nicholas. Then comes the Protestant Reformation. Right, with our iconoclasts, where we're tearing down all the icons. Um, and what they did when, in Europe was they basically shut down veneration of saints. And so all, all of like the, the saint influences and stuff started losing their grip uh, in Western Europe. St. Nicholas remained popular uh, because there's this tradition of gift-giving for children once a year. And uh, we'll, we'll get into how this changes, but... He, he stays popular, <laughs> but because they're trying to move away from venerating saints, they're changing the theme uh, in some cultures. Except in Holland. Holland just really enjoyed hanging on to good old St. Nick. And the Dutch name for St. Nicholas is Sinterklaas. S-I-N-T-E-R-K-L-A-A-S. And so they continued this gift-giving under the guise of Sinterklaas. And so you can do the next picture up here. There's Sinterklaas. That's the, that's the Dutch Santa Claus. And he rides on a horse. Which, uh, if you've ever heard some of the European tra um, traditions, you know, you, you set out stuff for Santa Claus, like the milk and the cookies, but then you take your shoes and you stuff them full of hay, and then the horse will eat the hay out of the shoes, and then Santa Claus will, will leave a gift in the shoes as well. So, I know we don't really do that here in the States, but that's what they do, right? Uh, <laughs> and so... Sinterklaas is this gift giver. But then you get into the UK, you know, where the Reformation like really took hold. They really pushed out Santa Claus. So they renamed him Father Christmas. So you have Father Christmas, which brings the gifts, or Old Man Christmas. Um, and uh, this is an old character from story plays from the Middle Ages um, and other parts of Europe. And then in France, he's known as Pierre Noel, right? Also Father Christmas. <clears throat> but in some countries, like in Austria and Germany, the, the gift giver wasn't this, this old man with a long beard. It turned into be this little golden-haired baby with wings that would go and give gifts. And they, they called him Christkind, or Christkindle. And that's where we get, like, uh, Chicago's Christkindle market. Um, so that's the, the German Christkindle. So the Dutch make their way over to America, right, in the 1700s and 1800s. So they bring Sinterklaas with them. And then, like, the Germans and the Austrians, and they come over and they bring their Christkindle over. And so, in America, we end up with uh, the, uh, another name for Santa Claus being Kris Kringle, which comes from the Christkindle, uh, golden-haired baby. And then, Sinterklaas gets Americanized and becomes Santa Claus. And so, now we have today's classic Santa Claus. Where he rides around on reindeers, Always known for going, oh, 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 and giving gifts, going down chimneys and all that fun stuff. So 
told you it'd be a short one today, but that's pretty much the history of St. Nick from start to finish. So St. Nicholas, great guy, loves the Lord, punches heretics, and uh, saves children from sex trafficking. And now we've got a jolly fat man that comes down chimneys and throws uh, presents under the, table, under the tree and uh, puts uh, something other than bags of coins into stockings. <clears throat> so anyway, that's our, our brief little reflection on St. Nick. And so I'll uh, wrap this up in prayer, and then we can actually enjoy our little baby shower today. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have your saints throughout the ages, Lord, and that, that each saint makes a mark in our lives, in the history of the church, because you have called them to such a purpose. Whether we know them or not, whether they actually become venerated saints or whether they're only known to you um, in the annals of history, Father, you have preserved your church, you have preserved your word, and you have preserved your love for any, all mankind, and that, Lord, you call us to a deeper relationship with you. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Fine's going to do one last uh, worship song, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.